promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 81. I sing for joy to God our strength. Shout in triumph to the God of Jacob. Lift up a song. Play the tambourine. The melodious lyre and the harp blow the horn on the day of our feasts during the new moon and during the full moon. For this is a statute for Israel, an ordinance for the God of Jacob. He set it up as a decree for Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. I heard an unfamiliar language. I relieved his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from carrying the basket. You called out in distress and I rescued you. I answered you from the thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Listen, my people, and I will admonish you. Israel, if you would only listen to me. There must not be a strange God among you. You must not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. If only my people would listen to me, and Israel would follow my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cower to him. Their doom would last forever. But he would feed Israel with the best wheat. I would satisfy you with honey from the rock. Amen. Our reading today comes from Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. He said to me, Son of man, eat what you find here, eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. Son of man, he said to me, feed your stomach and fill your belly with the scroll I am giving you. So I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them, for you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or a difficult language, but to the house of Israel, not to the many peoples of unintelligible speech or a difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. No doubt if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not want to listen to you because they do not want to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hard-headed and hard-hearted. Look, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. I have made your forehead like a diamond, harder than flint. Don't be afraid of them or discouraged by the look on their faces, though they are a rebellious house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Where we left Ezekiel off, if you remember, uh, he got done with the vision, and then God shows up again in a different way to tell him he's got a job to do. He stands them up and he sends them to the children of Israel or to the Israelites to be a preacher, to speak, to say to them, thus saith the Lord. And, and he admonishes him not to be afraid 
because even though things are not uh, possibly going to go well for him, God is going to be with him and God is going to be speaking through him. And he says, speak my words to them. And then he shows him the scroll and on the front and on the back are all these words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Uh, Things that are technically, I guess you'd say, not good. And so then we pick up there here with verse 1 of chapter 3. He said to me, Son of man, eat what you find here. Eat the scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. Uh, uh, The notion being, make yourself familiar with what is here. Don't just glance over it. Don't just uh, skim it. Don't just try and get the the gist of, of what is written here but devour it. Have it be something so familiar to you that is the only thing that you you wish to speak about. Take it to heart uh, and and then go and preach. Uh, Take take what I've given you and and be active with it. Uh, Be a passive recipient, we'll see, but then go and be active with it to preach this word. And that's got to be rather an intimidating thing to Ezekiel, where he's living as an exile amongst exiles. They're broken. They're shamed. They're angry at God, possibly. They are um, thinking that they have no hope. They're basically in a prison. They're in a foreign land. And he's told to go and preach and not preach words of comfort yet but to preach words of mourning and lamentation because everything that they hope in, the reality that at this time, Jerusalem is still standing and the temple is still there. So there is still this hope. He's saying, no, you're going to go and preach these words of lamentation and mourning and woe to them. And so it says he opens his mouth. And then I love this. It says, he fed me the scroll. Ezekiel didn't take it and feed him himself. He got fed by God. It makes me think of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 3, uh, where it, it says that no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. That we have to have the working of God in us to proclaim that which is true of God. Uh, To preach that which is true has to come from the working of God in us. And so here it's it's a proper understanding then that basically Ezekiel is like a baby bird and God is feeding him because he cannot do this on his own. God has to do it in him. And so it is that uh, there is this intimidation factor for some of us when it comes time to teach or preach in our churches or it comes time to speak to someone about Jesus or about God and we worry, well, are we going to say the right thing? Are we going to do the right thing? And I think we worry and we get scared and then we don't do it because we think it's up to us. When it's not up to us, it's up to God. It's up to God to to do his work in us, to to plant those words in our mouth and to make them fruitful in the lives of others. So he opens his mouth and he gets fed the scroll. And then God says to him, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your belly with the scroll I'm giving you. So I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. I I love how it goes beyond just take it into your mouth mouth and taste it. Uh, The picture that I have in in mind is, is, is someone that's a wine connoisseur and you go wine tasting and they'll have a bucket out there. 
where you'll be tasting wine. And the goal isn't to get drunk. The goal is to taste the wine and enjoy the taste of the wine in your mouth. But then they would spit it out into this bucket, which is really disgusting. I, I think it's a waste of wine, personally. But but that's just me. It means he is actually saying, take this word, swallow it. Purposefully devour it. Make it part of who you are. Take it in as the essence of who you are. And then it's to be a joy. Can you imagine that? Preaching words of lamentation and mourning and woe. As it says in verse 10 of chapter 2, it says those words tasted like sweet honey in his mouth. That it, it tastes good going in, and, and it's inevitably going to be a good thing. We never can think that possibly rebuke is a good thing, but it can be, can it? It, 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 it can be a good thing to save us from ourselves, to save us from stupid mistakes, to make transformation in society. But then you also think of, of the verses that talk about how God works all things together for good, for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. The, the, that uh, God is going to make a good thing, a sweet thing, a wonderful thing out of this. As well as for Ezekiel, it was sweet because he, he has this calling from God. And even if our calling is a hard calling, a calling to do something that is not necessarily top priority on our list of things that we would want to be called to do, right? That it is that it's sweet and, and wonderful to be called by God to do something. And so for him, it tasted like sweet honey. And also, there's this sense of that, uh, one of the commentators I was reading said that there's this sense of Ezekiel not going out of fear. He, he wasn't heading out to, to fulfill his calling from God out of fear, but he's doing it uh, in part as who he is but in part is seeing the joy that's going to come from serving God. And I wonder if our own um, expectations, our own aspirations, our own fears cause us to regularly despise and reject the things that God has called us to do because we're expecting other things when the joy actually just comes from the fact that the Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all things who gives life to all humanity, picked you to do this thing. It may not be your favorite thing, but it's something that God has picked for you to do. So there should be some joy, right? There should be some joy. Then God speaks again. He says, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. He's, he's been given uh, particular words to speak, these words that he now knows, that he's devoured, that he's brought into himself. For you not, are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, not to the many peoples of intelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand. Saying, you've been sent uh, to a place in, in, in which uh, if all things being equal and things were to work out the way that, that would be best 
everything would go fine. There's no need for a translator. There's no need for learning a new language. You're being sent to people who can listen to you. There's there's a sense of that in, in our vocation callings, the sense of this in, in where God does send us, where um, more often than not, the way that churches fail and the way that Christians fail is that we think that God has called us to a people place or time that we are not familiar with and that we cannot manage uh, to a culture that we do not know, right? And so uh, an example that I would use would be when I was serving as a pastor in Minnesota. I'm originally from California, grew up on the Central Coast, surfing, scuba diving, uh, beach every day, you know, all those things. Um, I'm, I'm not a hunter, not really a fisherman either. I, I don't snowmobile. I definitely don't ice fish. <laughs> um, you know, all of these things that are part of Northern Minnesota culture. And my first call was to Northern Minnesota and I loved the people and, and my wife and I love, we still love the people and we, we miss them horribly loved the small town. I, I did love, in fact, the culture of the small town that I was in. And I, and there's many ways that I think uh, that I do fit into small town, rural uh, communities, specifically, possibly even in the Midwest. But, but the culture that I'm familiar with, the people that I grew up with, the culture that I understand is California is is the central coast california uh, culture that's that's the culture that that i grew up in it's it's my first language so to speak and i basically had to learn a second language when i was in minnesota and and uh, i didn't hate it at all when i was there but i did not fit in i had nothing in common with the hunters around me apart from possibly uh love of some sports like I learned to like hockey and football and well, I loved football before, but you know, I, I tolerate the Vikings. My wife's a Vikings fan, but, uh, I, I did not fit into that culture as much. And so when my family and I got a chance to make this transition out here to California, back, back sort of home, we're, we're a little ways away. We're in the desert, Ridgecrest. Um, it was definitely an eye-opening experience for me to discover that I do, definitely uh, I've, I've returned home I, I fit into the culture a little bit more and here God is saying the same thing to Ezekiel he's saying I'm sending you to the people that you can speak to that are you that you are going to fit in with people that should listen to you it, it, where we get ourselves in tr- trouble is, is when we have these delusions of grandeur and we think that we're called to some great and mighty thing when we have no clue how to fit in there where you, where you see pastors um, fail uh, because they think they're called to this particular church in this particular place, but they come to discover. And, and part of this is a failure on their part, and part of this is a failure on the church part, that they don't really understand the culture at all. They don't take time to understand the culture. They just think that uh, church is just something that you can pick up on Amazon, and it's just a box, and you can open it up, and everything works well. When there are cultural things, there are language things, in fact, that, that are part of ministry. And so we shouldn't be getting down on ourselves if things are, are going hard or wrong. 
It could just mean that we're trying to fulfill our calling in a place that God has not sent us, that God has not uh, gifted us in, that God has not empowered us in. And that's okay. You, hear me, hear me, church. It's okay. God has a place for you, and, and maybe it means that you're going to be there struggling for a long time until God opens up this door for you to go somewhere else. Maybe it's this learning process for you. But it is this thing that, that God is going to, to, to work in you. Because it's interesting then that after he says this and he talks about how I'm not sending you to, to people that you're not familiar with. I'm sending you to people that you are familiar with. But then he says, and I love this, verse 6, if you, and no, no doubt if I sent you to them, that being foreigners, pagans, heathens, uh, the Babylonians, uh, their captors, they would listen to you. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, the, 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 the struggling of ministry can often be that you're sent to a familiar place, but you're going to slog along because you're going to be sent to hard-headed people, which is what we're discovering that's going to happen here to Ezekiel. And yet God's saying the easier place would be to send you to the barbarians because they might actually listen. Um, it, it sort of fits in with what we're, we're, we're looking at here because uh, even if you line up everything correctly, right? You, you go to the people that you are, are called to be with. You, you live in the place that people you're called to be with, that, that it's a place familiar to you that they're going to be, it's going to be very difficult because there's sinners everywhere. And that in fact, you could go somewhere else and it would be a lot easier, but you're called to serve a, a particular people. And, and uh, God sends you to that place. Here, God is using Ezekiel to do his work amongst his people that are in exile, knowing that he possibly could preach to the Babylonians and thing would, things would work out well, because he needs to make sure to fulfill what it is that is going to happen. That he's going to hold back repentance. That he's not going to repent his people until all of their hopes in things here on earth are gone. That the temple is gone. That Jerusalem is gone. So that all they're left with is who? Him. So that we stop trusting in the things that we think we can control and instead trust in him. And so it is that when he sends us to uh, familiar people, to, to familiar culture, oftentimes we can have a very difficult time there because it's a time of, of God's pruning work, a time of God's uh, work to uh, prepare us for some sort of task that is coming up. It's also a time of building up faith building up hope in him, to trust him that he is going to do, do something. And so that's what he's doing here with Ezekiel. He, he's preparing him to realize that he's going to fail. That's one of the things that we have to realize uh, within the prophets. We always see the prophets as heroes, but in the scope of American Christianity, they are not heroes. Jeremiah did not have a mega church, neither did Ezekiel. Jeremiah slaved for, what, 40 years, 50 years, and saw no fruit. Ezekiel is going to be slaving here. He's going to be preaching here. It's not going to bring about repentance of anyone. And actually, a lot of the visions that he's going to see is of God rebuking his people and stomping them down 
with a future hope to come, but realizing that before that there is this army that's going to come and destroy every single little thing that we think we can hope in. It's after election day, right? And paying attention to social media, you discover that there's a lot of people on social media that trust in princes and nobles and horses and chariots. That it is that because your party lost, uh, you uh, cry tears and you get upset and you get angry and you worry. Or if your party won, somehow you do some sort of dance thinking, oh yes, we're awesome. Well, what if the day comes that God removes those things from you? Those things that you've turned into idols that you're trusting in because you think this is the way that things are going to go. Could that be a work that God is doing? I think so. I think so. Well, here he finally says, the house of Israel will not listen to you because they do not want to listen to me. This is a a, a shadow of (laughs) um, 1 Samuel 8, where, where the people did desire a king and God has to tell Samuel, don't worry, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. That, that they're not going to listen to Ezekiel because he's the mouthpiece of God and they don't want to listen to God. And so he's preparing him for failure, helping him to lower his expectations. Uh, for the whole house of Israel is hard, hard-headed and hard-hearted. Look, I've made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Yeah, send the stubborn person to minister to the stubborn people. <laughs> Sometimes that's what the church needs, right? I think I've said this before here on this pod. I'm sure I have probably about a thousand times because I say it all the time. Churches get the pastors they need. They don't necessarily get the pastors they want. They get the pastors they need. And so if you are a hard-headed church, Oftentimes, the pastor that God sends you is a hard-headed pastor. If you're a church that's not willing to do anything, that's not willing to change anything, that's not willing to look at themselves, that's not willing to listen to the Word of God, that's not willing to do a lot of things, you're going to end up possibly getting a pastor who is going to be just as stubborn as you, and he's going to push you. He's going to say things to you that are not loving in your mind. He's going to he's going to do things that are going to maybe cause some turmoil, some heartache. But it's the pastor you need because of your hard heart and your hard head, your stubbornness. And I think that's true even for me. I need parishioners. They're going to be the parishioners I need in order to help hold me accountable, but also to bolster me up. Because ministry is such a difficult thing. Such a difficult thing because there's oftentimes we see no fruit. It's, it's why so many pastors go into woodworking and things like that because at least they see some sort of result at the end. As, as, as a pastor, though, oftentimes we, we don't see any of that. And so to have, to have um, parishioners there to love us and care for us is necessary. And sometimes to have parishioners there who are hard-headed and hard-hearted to hold us accountable, to push us, to cause us to do things that we don't think we can do in order that God might use us for his glory to the best of his ability, that's a necessary thing. That is a necessary thing. I've made your forehead like a diamond harder than flint. Don't be afraid of them or discouraged by the look on their faces, though they are a rebellious house. They're going to be who they're going to be, he's saying. 
And so he sends him to preach to a dying people that death is coming. And that terrifies us. When we're in the process of dying, we're afraid of death. But he's doing this all in order to prepare them for the joy of the resurrection that is to come in him. It is like John the Baptist coming before Jesus. He comes with all law to prepare them for the sweetness of the gospel. Because where there's death, there's going to be life. We see that with trees. We see that with plants. The seed dies, the plant comes. So too it is with Christ. Hebrews 12, 2 talks about how Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, denying its shame for the sake of you, that he endured hardship and pain for you, that he, he stepped into difficult circumstances for you. Why is it, church, that so many times we want to avoid difficulty and suffering and hardship when the entire backbone of our faith is built on it? a difficult thing to wrap our minds around, but I think it's a true thing. It's a thing that we have to get, come to grips with. The fact that God is going to call us to hard times, to difficult things. He's going to uh, give us the sense that our church is dying, even though it's not. He's going to make it uh, hard for us to believe that he's going to do any good thing uh, in us or through us or for our church because things are so difficult. And yet, that is how God works, making life out of death, bringing things into being that were not out of nothing. That is our hope, I think, church. And this is this work that Ezekiel's doing. He's, he's being brought to stone-faced people to break them down so that eventually, when we get to it, uh, their stony heart gets removed and they get a heart of flesh that beats only for God. Well, let us pray. Lord, we beseech thee to keep thy household, the church, in continual godliness, that through thy protection it may be free from all adversities and devoutly given to serve thee in good works to the glory of thy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, church, continue to share this with others. Hi to, to whoever it is that's listening in South Dakota and Colorado and elsewhere. We continue to get new listeners each week. Uh, continue to share this, offer this up to folks. Uh, have it be, be something that can be nourishing and valuable to them. Because our goal, church, is for you to realize that God um, is not one uh, that is necessarily making demands of you but he is the one working in you and through you and for you for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his, his kingdom, that just like Ezekiel, he's going to feed you his word and he's going to send you to a particular people in a particular way. Prayers that God would continue to do that in you. With that, go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.